Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Brief, a short, sharp snapshot of the region's policy landscape. My name is Edwina Landale. In many nations across Southeast Asia, tourism has become a focal point for economic development. It's an industry that provides jobs, revenue and the opportunity for nations to share their culture with the rest of the world. But behind the sunny tourism slogans, there is often a darker picture. The Indonesian island of Bali is on the brink of imposing new tourism restrictions due to what officials call a decline in the quality of tourists. A photo of a Danish tourist sitting on a highly sacred, throne-shaped shrine recently went viral and has prompted the government crackdown. It seems that Bali's booming tourism industry has incurred some unfortunate collateral damage. The last few decades have seen many a clueless foreigner clambering over religious sites, carelessly partying on pristine beaches, or failing to acknowledge local culture. Today on The Brief, we're asking the question... What are the true costs of tourism and who pays them? With us today, we have Dr. David Bierman. David is a senior lecturer of tourism at the University of Technology, Sydney, and before this led a varied 30-year career in the Australian travel industry. He is the longest-serving member of DFAT's consular consultative group, advising DFAT on travel advisories and tourism safety and security issues. Thank you for joining us today, David. Thank you, Edwina. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So your work with the Consular Consultive Group is heavily involved in this question of responsible tourism. So what exactly do you do in that role? It's it's actually more involved with safety and security of tourism, but we our group basically advises DFAT on travel advisories, how to frame them, not exactly the security side of the travel advisories, but actually it, it actually started the whole process from the Bali bombing of 2002. And what, what it's actually done is it's made our travel advisories a lot more accurate. And instead of saying there was a problem in Bali, so let's say don't go to Indonesia or reconsider your need to go to Indonesia, is might be reconsider your need to go to a the place that had a had an incident, whether it was a terrorist incident or a natural disaster or whatever it was. So our travel advisories, even if you go to the Smart Travel website, will tend to be much more specific about areas. You know, take a place like Thailand, Bangkok will have one level of warning. The southern borders with Malaysia, where there's an insurgency going, will have a different level of warning. It became a big issue between Australia and Indonesia because the Indonesian government for years was very upset about the fact that the Bali bombing had resulted in the Australian government declaring all of Indonesia as a place where one should reconsider their need to travel. <laughs> and it was a point of argument with you know between the travel industry leadership and DFAT for quite a number of years until common sense finally prevailed. <laughs> because it is such a huge part of 
the economy of many developing nations and Bali in particular is quite heavily reliant upon the tourist industry oh, for local revenue. Hugely. And, and, and of course, after the Bali bombing of 2002 and the later uh, terrorist attacks of 2005, the, the number of Australian tourists who were visiting Bali plummeted enormously. And the interesting thing is, although we tend not to believe in anything that governments say about any subject, when it comes to travel advisories, we actually do, because government's first rule of, of duty is the protection of Australian citizens and the safety of Australia. So we, we tend to trust them in that area. We might not trust them in a whole lot of other things. <laughs> I mean, we're looking at the, the quality of destinations, yeah. and I want to sort of flip around a little bit and look at this term that's been used in a lot of news articles recently about what's happening in Bali, mentioning declining quality of tourists. So what does it mean to be a quality tourist? What what are they talking about? What a good question, Edwin. Now, if you're talking from the Tourism Australia perspective, a quality tourist is a person who comes in and spends an awful lot of money. (laughs) Hopefully the more they spend, the more quality they actually are. Uh, You know, that's been... That's being a bit prosaic about it. I think what Indonesia is looking at, particularly when it comes to Bali, however, is not only people who perhaps are are spending a bit more money, but also people who are much more respectful of the local culture. So unfortunately, a lot of tourists, not only from Australia, but from many other countries, uh, tend to, to treat Bali as a kind of tropical pub. Unfortunately, uh, Bali doesn't necessarily attract the uh, the most cultural sense, culturally sensitive tourists from many of its destinations. I mean, if you look at Aussies, it's a Bali's a very popular destination for Australians, and yes, we get some really beautiful people who go there who are very respectful of the local culture. But for every one of those, we get a whole bunch of people who are on a end of season footy party, and all they want to do is get drunk and and carouse and shout and carry on and make the rest of us in Australia look pretty bad. Uh, it's a place where the ugly Australian, the ugly New Zealander, the ugly American and the ugly Brit will probably gather and, and I have to also add the ugly Chinese as well because uh, for the Chinese, Chinese tourists who are now huge numbers, Bali is one of those destinations where they still seem to be able to get away with what they call the free tours. In other words, somebody sponsored them to go, and they're they're directed to a garage somewhere for uh, to, in a, to 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 buy duty free goods at inflated prices. We, I mean, the Chinese government actually banned that type of tour. What do you got the free tour. tour? Is that what a, you call what it? What a free tour is is some uh, a, a company will promote a, a so called free tour. The spin on the free tour is that yes, the airfare will be free, the accommodation will be free, but you pay. A huge amount of money for phony uh, for, for phony goods, which are labelled as duty free. Uh, it's a practice that was banned here in this country some years ago, but still exists in some parts of Southeast Asia, including Bali. Um, and the Chinese government, for their part, have been trying to ban it for some years. Um, as I say, Aussies are a mixed bag in Bali. I've seen the best of them, and I've seen the worst of them. <laughs> it's actually something that I wanted to talk to you about at some point. So I'm pleased that you've mentioned Chinese tourism already. Mm. As the growing middle class in China is traveling more and more, I feel like Southeast Asia especially is seeing a different type of tourist coming through. Oh, absolutely. In what ways is that changing tourism industry? Well, well, let me give you an example just as it applies to Thailand. Um, Nine million 
Chinese visited Thailand in 2017 out of the 36 million who visited the country. So basically, almost one in one in four tourists to to uh, to Thailand are from China. Now, those tourists on average spend around about 1,200 US dollars for uh, over the nine days. We had here in Australia 1.4 million tourists spending exactly the same amount of money. You know, the type of tourist who's attracted to Thailand and to other ASEAN countries, not just Thailand, tend to be the ones who can just afford to travel. I mean, A, Thailand is obviously a lot cheaper to get to than Australia is. It's a lot cheaper to travel around when you're in it. The, the cost of hotels is a fraction of what it is here in Australia. But what that's often meaning is that the people who have just managed to scrape themselves into the middle class uh, are going to, to the ASEAN countries, whereas the people who are probably a little bit more affluent and perhaps also a, a bit more educated, but not necessarily, tend to get attracted to Western countries. So that's uh, where this also. question of the quality of tourism may be... Yeah, and it's not only about money, Edwina, because although money uh, is a part of what is seen as quality tourists, it's also, I think, the attitude. So if you're if you're coming and you've you, you're not sitting there worried about every cent that you're going to spend, you'll you'll try and think of okay, how can I make the most out of this tour, and how can I more engage with the destination? And we're also finding too that that whereas. In Thailand and ASEAN countries, many first-time Chinese tourists will go to those countries, so they go in their groups. They're very kind of protected and cosseted. 50% of the Chinese who come to Australia are actually second, third or fourth-time visitors. So they've actually done their group tour and now they want to actually explore the destination. You know, let's give the Chinese credit for tourists as, as they deserve to. Their, their progress as, as tourists has been astronomically quick. Um, it took the Japanese 20 years to go from being group tourists to being discerning uh, individual travellers. It took the Americans even longer. And, and, it's, and it's also something that Australians have developed into in many cases, but not necessarily the ones who go to Bali. So, and, and when I start thinking of quality tourists, I'm not just thinking of how much money they're spending, but actually what motivates them to come and what they plan to achieve when they actually come here. And the you know, quality tourist is somebody who wants to wants to have a genuine, authentic experience of the country uh, and who also is prepared to engage, you know, with the local community in a in a positive way. I think the question of local communities is quite an important one because a lot of the growth, especially in Bali, it's not just a spontaneous tourism boom the government has put a lot of effort into developing the tourist sector but the costs of this tourism are being incurred by local communities who are finding their religious sites being disrespected they're finding that their own culture is being experienced as maybe a commodity how does that change the way that local communities interact with their own culture and the way that well, they live in their own space. There's there's a theory in tourism which is called Doxy's Iridex Index, and that is that that initially a destination thinks tourists wonderful, fantastic, really happy to have them. If a tourist engages in a disrespectful or negative way, that 
welcome and that acceptance, which is something that's pretty common in Indonesia because Indonesians are very welcoming and hospitable people. But after a while, if you treat your host badly, the host will start to resent you. And this is where you go with the iridex really talks about irritation. So tourists in Bali, to some extent, and in some, not everywhere, uh, are, are an ir- can be an irritation. I know actually the very first time I went to an- Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Indonesia, which was, I'm embarrassed to say this now, 1982. I didn't go to Bali. I went to Java and many places that, I, that my wife and I actually went to in Java had never seen a European before. Now, Bali hasn't been like that. Bali has always, has for a very long time been a, a centre of tourism. I mean, the reason that my wife and I didn't go to Bali in 1982 is we didn't want to keep bumping into fellow Aussies. I've got nothing against my countrymen. I love them, but but I didn't want to see them in, in Indonesia. Um, so what we've, so for quite a long time now, uh, the, the tradition of Aussies going to have a huli in Bali uh, has been around, and I think the Bali bombing actually changed all that a lot. It point, I guess, indicated to a lot of Australians there's a limit to how much you can just go to a place and just disrespect it. Uh, it was a terrible wake-up call, even though the, the bombing was actually not conducted by Balinese, it was conducted by uh, members of Jamal Islamia. Uh, based in Java, but it, but but I think it was a it was a massive wake up call for Australians to to say you just can't go to another country and treat it like a an outback pub. Uh, I remember actually when I was in Bali last year for the uh, APEC counterterrorism conference, the speaker before me was actually the chief police chief of police in Bali. Wonderful speaker, also a great nightclub singer as well. Too actually sang a surround of uh, songs after his speech, <laughs> <laughs> so I had to follow this guy. But he was incredible. But what was interesting is that the Balinese are doing something that that a colleague of mine in the United States has been doing for years, and they're training their police to understand the nuances of tourists. So the Balinese police are actually doing something which in the United States they call TOPS, which is Tourism-Oriented Police and Security Services. And I told the police chief of Bali about TOPS and he said, oh, I've never heard of that, but that's what we're doing. (laughs) So it was really interesting that, that in one end of the world it's something that has a name and in Bali it's something that's just ingrained in the police and that is to to make sure that when tourists are assembling in an area that 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 their behavior doesn't impinge on on going into a temple or doing something else which is going to be uh, offensive and quite frankly it's you know especially if you're a tourist and you've had a skinful you're not going to know what's mm. right and wrong according to local law you'll just do so silly part things. of the part of the police role is to mediate between tourism very much so and also to understand you know most tourists when they go to a place with which they're unfamiliar uh, whether it's you know from a linguistic point of view or culturally they suffer from a condition called anime and that is is that they're they're not really quite they're not completely all together when you're in a state of confusion you know you're, you imagine you arrive in an airport it's it's evening 
people are speaking a language you don't understand and you're trying to think, well, what do I do next? <laughs> uh, that's enemy. Enemy is this, this, this state of, of, of confusion and, and, and because of that, tourists are, are usually very vulnerable to crimes and to scams because, you know, somebody smiles nicely at them <laughs> and, and you're there for anyone. And we've all been caught from them at, at, at some stage or another. Given the fact that tourism can be sensitive to things like natural disasters, yeah. things like volatile governments, yes. things <laughs> like rising currency even can change the desirability of a tourist destination – do you think that it's good for developing nations to build their economy so heavily reliant upon tourism? Well, look, tourism, by definition, can be a volatile industry. Uh, it, it's an industry which enables, particularly if you have a popular tourism destination, and Bali certainly qualifies there, you know, tourism in Bali employs 40% of the population. So it's it's really very valuable, whether it's employing them properly fairly or equitably, of course, is, is another question altogether. Uh, however, you probably couldn't get that kind of growth in any other industry. So so the development of hotels, accommodations, resorts, shops, souvenir things tends to be a big economic generator. And if you want to fast track economic growth, uh, particularly in, in developing countries, uh, tourism is a really great way to do it. Unfortunately, what often happens is that that type of growth tends to be done in a very unsustainable way. So you get big winners and big losers. You get a lot of people who get exploited, um, particularly those people who are you know, trying to sell souvenirs and things like that for next to nothing, and they're not really making very much money out of it. It's very disappointing. That, and may I say also, too, no economy should ever be totally reliant on one source of income. But the pot can't call the kettle black here. You know, Australia has this huge dependence on iron ore. Now, tourism at least is a renewable resource. So you can you can use a hotel room again and again and again. You can have people go and visit a museum again and again and again. Uh, so if, from that point of view, there, there's, there's value in it. Tourism also, too, needs to be sustainable. And one of the problems that we see in Bali, uh, apart from cultural insensitivity on the part of some tourists, 60% of the water usage goes, goes to the tourists. Uh, there, there's not enough for the locals to, to, to conduct their, their agriculture because it's been used by tourists who want to have a one-hour-long shower. And sure, you know, tourists are, are very valuable to Bali as they are to many other places, but but you've got to look after your own people first. And do you think that kind of instruction or awareness needs to come from governments? Should it come from like community awareness raising? All so when people those. are coming through, like how do we develop that kind of capacity? Well, I think it's very important in our education system for the people who are going as tourists. We we need to, to we need to make sure that our kids in school learn something about our nearest neighbour, Indonesia. Um, our, uh, generally speaking, the ignorance about Indonesia in this country is just mind-blowing. If you look at the fact that Indonesia has multiple languages, that it has 250 million people, 
a lot of people. The fact that it's not just Bali, I think a lot of there's a lot of misconception. Well, there is existing as the entire Indonesia. Well, there is that feeling as well too. Yes, uh, you know, as far as a lot of Aussies are concerned, Bali is Indonesia. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of it really doesn't matter. I mean, forget about the fact that Jakarta, which is the capital, is a city of about sixteen or seventeen million people. Our ignorance is enormous, as I suspect probably the ignorance of Indonesians about Australia is probably enormous. Cultural awareness doesn't tend to be that great before people go to a country. A lot of the time, the entire opinion or like local perspective on, for instance, Australia would be shaped by interactions with tourists and yeah. vice versa. That, oh, yes. And they, God, if that's the basis, then they probably think yeah. we're dreadful. So how much, so how much does tourism play a role in shaping Australia's relationship with Indonesia, with Thailand, with other nations in the I think it, it plays a big role, and, and I have to say a lot of the role is positive. Uh, I mean, a lot of Australians, when they go to Indonesia, sure, you get the people who go at the end of season footy blowout, uh, but you also get a lot of Australians travelling to Indonesia who explore large parts of it. Uh, and what we're certainly seeing, if, if you look at the outbound tourism stats, is that Australians are exploring uh, not only Indonesia but other Southeast Asian destinations a lot more extensively than used to be the case. And I think that's actually a good thing. So I suppose just to bring all of this together, sure. how should we combine the different factors of risk management, responsible travelling and safe travelling with cultural preservation and economic growth? I think it's really important, one thing that the industry, the travel industry can do, and I think many of them are doing, is before a traveller leaves Australia to go to any destination, whether it be Bali or anywhere else, is that they provide at least a decent sort of briefing in a manner that people are going to be engaged with. So forget about you know leaving a brochure saying this is what these are some do's and don'ts in Indonesia. Have a YouTube which will be incredibly entertaining, but will tell you all the things you want to know. Um, you know, let's work on social media to do to to use as the tools to deliver the message. Um, I mean, the amount of information available about Indonesia in particular, and or Indonesia generally and Bali specifically, is absolutely humongous. So there's no reason why a traveller shouldn't be well briefed. But it is important for the person they purchased the travel from, whether it was uh, an online travel group or even if they got it from the airline, that, that, that they get some kind of a pre-arrival briefing of this is these are some do's and don'ts when you're coming to Bali. Here's a little bit about the culture. These are the things you ought to respect. And we can do it if we do it in an entertaining, engaging way rather than, you know, from a schoolmasterish point of view or a schoolman point of view, uh, people will be receptive to it. Um, they might forget about it when they've had too many drinks, but, <laughs> but, but I think if we can sensitize people that when you're going to a destination, A, you are a guest in that country and you should observe the rules of the host and B, uh, although you don't try to push this too much, but you're actually you're actually an ambassador of your country, whether you want to be or not, because people will judge Aussies by the way you behave. You know, good old respect uh, matters a great deal, and I, I think it's something that we all need to uh, to to uh, incorporate when we go travelling. 
to yeah. other parts of the world, as we would wish people when they come to this country as well. Just in every area of life, I think yeah, that's course. really great advice. Of course. Well, I think it's been really great having you on the show. I feel like you've explained a lot of the interaction of local responsibility, government responsibility, and the importance of respect when traveling. That's what kind of shines through for me. Thank you so much for coming in Pleasure. and chatting to us. Uh, don't forget that we would love to hear any comments or feedback you have on this podcast or any of our content. You can contact us on Twitter at Apps Policy Forum, on Facebook, we're Asia Pacific Policy Society, or chuck us an email, podcast at policyforum.net. Don't forget that we have our national security podcast coming out later this week and on Friday. Nikki Lovegrove with the Policy Forum pod. I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.